It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're part of the program. It is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July thirtieth, two thousand and nine. We appreciate you being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, and uh, looking forward to an important uh, discussion and study from the Word of God. It is good to be with you, and we appreciate you having us on your computer tonight. We hope you'll take a minute to join in the discussion. The contact information is scrolling across your screen. If you're watching us from Ustream.tv tonight, we would encourage you to give us a call at 877-381-4567. That's toll-free, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. You can also join in with other listeners tonight by going to the chat room by following the instructions at the bottom of your screen. You can join in the discussion with other listeners tonight in the chat room. Harv in Pennsylvania is in the chat room tonight. And we have Anthony in Columbia in the chat room, and we look forward to you joining as well. We can include your comments from the chat room if you'd like to enter them there. We have an important discussion tonight planned. Uh, We want to talk about... uh, what we talked about last week and review some of our, our discussion uh, last week with Kevin Twitt. It was a good discussion. We do appreciate Kevin for joining us uh, last week. Last week, we, last week we interviewed Kevin Twitt, who is, uh, works on Belmont University campus in Nashville with the Reformed University Fellowship. And we do want to thank Kevin for his participation and for his good demeanor. Uh, I, I really did appreciate talking to him. He seemed like a super, super nice guy, Jacob. Uh, we obviously disagree on important doctrinal issues, but I was very encouraged that he was willing to talk with us and share his point of view. In fact, last week we gave him uh, a lot of time to, to explain his point of view purposefully uh, because uh, if, if we had interrupted him, Jacob, at every single uh, point or every comment that he made, uh, we would have disrupted his ability to try and explain what he means and what he, what he thinks. And so we, we purposefully gave him a lot of opportunity to, to explain his position. And our idea tonight is to review some of that, not to not to try to personally attack Kevin, because I thought he was a, a really fine uh, individual, good, uh, had a great attitude. We're, but we're going to talk about our disagreements. We're going to try to explain. He, he left some questions perhaps hanging in some of our listeners' minds, and we want to try to answer some of those questions. Tonight. When Kevin, we contacted Kevin to talk about, about him coming on the program, he said, I'm not interested in if it's going to be an ugly discussion. And we said, we don't want an ugly discussion. We don't want an ugly discussion tonight. Uh, Kevin's not here to defend his uh, position, so we'll try and do that accurately tonight. We don't want to run him down. We just want to go to the Scriptures and compare uh, what we believe to what the Scriptures teach and make sure that we're following what God has revealed for us in his word. So we'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts, you maybe you listened to the program last week and you had some questions about what was said. Maybe you agreed with Kevin last week. And if you're listening tonight, we are especially happy that you're out there. 
or maybe you disagreed and you had some things that you heard that you wanted to make a comment on and you just didn't want to interrupt the discussion last week, but now you'd like to comment, the phone lines are open and we're ready to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Or you can send your comments to questions at collegeu.com. The phone may be the best way to get your comments across tonight because uh, it might take a lot of ta- uh, typing to get your uh, everything together uh, that you'd like to say about last week's program. So give us a call. Jacob, earlier today to our update list, we sent out a very simple question. We asked, what are the best scriptural arguments for or against the Calvinistic doctrines of, and those five points that we have referred to by the acrostic tulip, total hereditary depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. If If you were studying this with someone, if you agree with Calvinism, Give us your verses that you believe are, are your best support of those doctrinal views. As Kevin Twitt said last week, Jacob, they all sort of tie together. It necessarily, they all fit together. If you take one position, then the others follow. Uh, so if you if you agree with what Kevin was saying, give us your scriptural arguments that defend those positions. I think tonight we'll hear more, from more people who disagree, and we want to hear your your arguments. If you were in a discussion with a Calvinist, and you were going through those five points of Calvinism, what would be the scriptures that you would use at each point? Send those in to us. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, or get on the phone. We're going to start out with total hereditary depravity, so get on the phone. Give us a call and talk to us about that. I especially want to hear from you tonight if you agree with what Kevin was saying. If you believe in the doctrines of John Calvin, we'd like to hear from you tonight, and maybe you can uh, further elaborate on what we discussed last week. But we'll present our view and uh, compare it with what the scriptures teach. And so we'd like to hear from you either way, whether you agree with us or whether you disagree. We'll have a fair and honest discussion. We're just going to go to the scriptures and look at what the Bible teaches. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Total depravity, Dad. Uh, As Kevin uh, told us last week, is the idea that we, our nature, something in our nature got uh, disrupted when Adam and Eve sinned. Adam's sin in particular uh, is referenced, and that when that happened, it corrupted mankind totally, uh, and he is totally unable to have any inclination towards God because he's totally depraved. As, as uh, One of the passages I wanted to address that Kevin used last week, Jacob, was from Romans chapter 3. When we were talking about this, and we asked him, what verses or passages do you believe teach this idea of depravity? He he made an argument from Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. What then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and so forth, uh, and so on it goes. Uh, verse 19 concludes, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are, who are under the law, that every every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Uh, as Kevin used that passage, uh, we, we tried to point out, but maybe didn't clear, clearly identify, this passage is not talking about inherited depravity, Jacob. This is saying that men choose, they make a choice. Verse 12 says they are all gone out of the way. They went out of the way 
they become unprofitable. Not that they were born unprofitable. They become unprofitable by making a choice to go out of the way. They don't do good. None of them do good. No man lives righteously. We understand all are sinners. All choose to violate the will of but God. But you're focusing on they have gone out of the way. They weren't born that way. They were at some point they were in a right relation or were correct, and then they have gone astray. Uh, numerous passages we could point to that, that teach us. Second Peter chapter two verse fifteen. Uh, talking about people who are very wicked, it says, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, fallen the way of Balaam, the son of Boshar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. We can cite verse after verse that teach that men were created upright and we have forsaken the correct path. We have gone out of the way. In fact, in the chat room, Jacob Harv uh, in Pennsylvania suggests Ecclesiastes 7.29 Truly, this only have I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And so I, I would agree that that's a, a passage that teaches this principle. Yes, men are sinners. Yes, men become guilty before God, but not because we are born into an inherited guilt, but because we make a choice and we make a determination to do what's wrong. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It doesn't say that all we like sheep were born astray. It says we have gone astray. And uh, numerous passages, again, we could cite. Uh, last week, I referenced Romans chapter 7, Dad. We could elaborate some more on that. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, says he was alive once without the law. There was some point in Paul's life in which he was alive where he had not. But that wouldn't be true. That would not be true if he was born depraved. He was born. He was born spiritually dead. According to Calvinism, Calvinism, uh, he he wasn't alive at one point in his life. But Paul says that he was alive without the law once in Romans chapter seven, verse nine. So how do we justify? How do we reconcile the two? We can't uh, if we believe that we're born totally depraved and we can't do anything to come towards God. Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee, wrote in uh, in answer to our questions and said, the scripture against total hereditary depravity concept is found in Ezekiel 18.20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And then also 2 Kings 4, verse 14. 2 Kings 14, verse 6 but the children of the murderers he put not to death according to that which is written in the law, book of the law of Moses, as Jehovah commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, nor the children of the people put to death for the fathers, but every man shall die for his own sin. Now, one clarification that Kevin made last week is that Calvinists, he says, do not teach that we necessarily inherit the sins of our immediate ancestors, but rather that Adam is the unique one and that we inherit the sin and guilt of Adam's sin. Um, But if that's so, it would still violate the principles taught in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, 2 Kings 14, verse 6, because Adam is is one of our fathers, one of our forefathers. All right. 877-381-4567. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. A lot of wrinkles that come with this doctrine of total depravity. First off is how do you get Jesus born sinless if all men are born sinners? And a couple of different variations maybe on, on how Jesus could enter the world sinless. Uh, one, of those, one of those variations, I think, Jacob, is that because of his virgin birth that he didn't have both a physical father and mother. But sin, he did. sin passes through the, uh, yeah. through the father is the... Theory. Again, we don't have scripture for that, but 
uh, the sin passes through the Father, Jesus to him, an earthly father, therefore he could be born sinless. Yeah, I've, I've heard that argument. We've got, we've got another wrinkle as well in the, to- the idea of total depravity. That is, if uh, you have a baby who dies, uh, he was a, uh, totally depraved, and uh, therefore you got a problem because now your precious uh, son or daughter who maybe some uh, illness strikes them and they, they become deceased. Uh, they were too young to obey the gospel, to have faith, and uh, therefore you would only have to conclude then that they would be sentenced to uh, eternity in torments. Exactly right. And so now we, now the, the, the Catholic way around that is uh, the doctrine of limbo. Uh, the baby is not in heaven. He's not in hell. He's in, we don't know exactly where it is. He's in limbo, and that's, that, that's their that's way around. That's where he stays. Yeah. Uh, in the chat room, Harv makes the point, sin is something that we do, not something we inherit. I think he's right. First John 3, verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. If I'm a sinner, and I am, it's because I have transgressed the law. That that's that's the definition they're given, and that's what we have to understand and accept. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Anthony in Columbia say Calvinists will say that when babies uh, that babies sin when they cry, sin is a transgression of the law. Babies can't transgress. Uh, Anthony says. Um, so we well, we... I in in maybe just a little clarification on that. I have heard Calvinists say that. Uh, it's not necessarily that babies are sinning when they cry, but their crying shows their depraved nature when they fuss and carry on and, and won't settle down, that that's evidence of a depraved nature, uh, which I don't buy. And I, you couldn't prove that from the Bible if you had to, but I've heard that argument made. All right, let's go to a break. When we get back, we're going to have the same problem we had last week if we don't hurry. We've got five points to cover. We've only covered one, so we'll go a little faster on the other side. But we would like to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great. I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church Christ. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We appreciate you being a part of the program. And uh, we're getting comments in the chat room that we look blue. We're not that sad. Uh, but uh, we'll work on the lighting in here a little bit maybe next week. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com as we review our discussion about Calvinism last week. We want to hear from you. Do you agree with the doctrines of John Calvin as they were presented by Kevin Twitt last week? Or do you disagree 
Let us know your thoughts. Where do you stand? We'd like to hear from you. Jacob, one of the, before we pass from this uh, uh, total depravity point that was made, um, Kevin made tried. I thought he made his, his strongest case from Romans chapter five verse twelve. In Romans chapter twelve, excuse me, Romans chapter five verse twelve, it says, "Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." And Kevin was saying, well, babies die. Therefore, babies are sinners. Therefore, babies are sinners. That was his conclusion from Romans 5, verse 12. Well, that's not even true to the way the verse is worded. Death passed upon all men for that all not have inherited sin, but rather all have sinned. The death that he's talking about is a death that comes because all have sinned, not because all have inherited sin. But, but it says death. there's a death that comes because all have sinned. I think you pointed out while we were talking to him last week, uh, the, the proper view of this has to be that he's talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death is what comes because we sin. Let me read to you R.L. Whiteside on this verse. He says, what death is meant here? It is true that physical death came as a result of sin, but so also does spiritual death. The context and nature of Paul's argument must determine which death is meant here. In this Roman letter, Paul frequently uses the word death without saying which death he means, leaving the reader to determine from the context which death he means. The context favors the idea that death, in verse 12, is spiritual death. The moral and spiritual condition of man and the gospel plan of justification had been the matter under discussion. Besides, the death here mentioned passed upon all men on account of their own sins. Physical death came upon all on account of Adam's sin. But the death here mentioned came only on those who sinned. Facts are against the idea that all men suffer physical death on account of their own sins. But spiritual death does come in that way and in no other way. The condition of infants and those who are not accountable is not taken into consideration in the discussion of sin and spiritual death. They die a physical death even though they have not sinned. So I think Whiteside's right, and I believe that has to be the right understanding of this verse. But again, stress the wording. Death passed on all men. Why? Because they sinned. Without that last clause, I, I, we could maybe see the point uh, that was be, trying to be made. But with that last clause, it tells us why death comes. And it's not because you're born that way. It's because you transgress, because you sin. All pa- is passed to all men, for all have sinned. All right. I think that's right. So that's the first point of Calvinism, Jacob. Total hereditary depravity. The Bible doesn't teach it. Calvinism is based upon that premise. Before we go further, Jacob, maybe we should maybe we should comment about an expression that. Go ahead. We've got a comment in the chat room before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, I don't know who the, the commenter is, but it says in Ro- in Romans chapter five verse twelve. If Romans chapter five verse twelve is teaching total hereditary depravity, then you have double jeopardy later in the passage when it says that Jesus brought life and righteousness to the world. That is true. The the way that death has been translated to all men is exactly the same way that life has been translated to those who have been saved. If you're born totally depraved, then you would also automatically be saved by Christ's sacrifice because Paul is making the the connection there uh, that if if by one man you can uh, be dead spiritually, then by another man you can be alive spiritually. If it's automatic the death, 
then the, the life is automatic as well. Well, but the Calvinists might accept that because they believe in unconditional election and irresistible grace. So they might they might be willing to say, I, I accept that conclusion. I'm not sure. I don't know that I've ever asked them about that, but they might be willing to say, yeah, I can buy that. I don't buy it, but I think they might be willing to buy that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I don't think they do. I think I have asked that, and I don't think they do. But uh, we'd, I'd have to re- review that some more. Before we before we go to the next point of Calvinism, uh, there was a, an expression that Kevin used repeatedly last week that I wanted to comment about and maybe offer a little bit of explanation because I, I talked to some people who were confused what he meant when he talked about the Arminians, Jacob. Several times he contrasted the doctrines of, of Calvin with the Arminians. And some were wondering what that meant. Well, Arminianism is named after a fellow who lived in effectively the same time frame as John Calvin, uh, Jacob Arminius. Uh, and he had also, like Calvin, he had a system of theology that he uh, believed the scriptures taught. And his views were fairly similar to our own, uh, with one exception. He, he believed, as Calvin did, about total depravity. He believed that. But beyond that, he said, atonement is intended for all. Jesus' death satisfies God's justice. Grace is resistible. Man has free will to respond or resist. Election is conditional. God predestines not specific people, but predestines the elect, those who are obedient, to a glorious future inheritance. And eternal security is also conditional. And so... Pretty much last week when when uh, Kevin was talking about the Arminians, he would say that we hold to that view. Uh, that's not 100% accurate, but he when he was making that reference, he was referring to the view that we hold primarily. Let us know your thoughts. Join in on the phone now. The phone line is open, 877-381-4567, or send us your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We hope you'll be a part of the program tonight as we review the doctrine of John Calvin, and uh, we try and compare it with what the Scriptures teach. I think it's very clear. The Scriptures uh, tell us that we're not born depraved, that we have gone astray. Death is past to all men, for all have sinned. Not all have been born, uh, but all have sinned, and that's why the spiritual death has passed from Adam throughout time. To each one who has sinned. To each one who has sinned. And then the next, uh, Dad, the next, the, 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 the idea, the doctrines of Calvinism are very uh, intertwined and they're logical if you uh, j- just from a purely logical viewpoint they're logical yeah, yeah. i think that the next ones we're going to talk about sort of follow in order the first one is without basis you know now would you if you start at a point without basis then whatever you build upon that that's like building a house upon the sand no matter how good the structure is or then it falls because it's not built on a solid foundation and this foundation of hereditary depravity uh, is a false one, but starting out there, and I think I hope we've already proved the Bible does not teach that. What about this idea of unconditional election, Jacob? The idea of unconditional election is, of course, if you're depraved, you're totally depraved, you're totally spiritually dead, then you can't do anything to come towards God. God has to uh, act on you totally without any intervention by you because you are totally wicked, uh, you're totally depraved, you can't, you couldn't come to God if you wanted to. So God has to do it all. Well, He's going to choose you. Then you can't choose Him. He's, yep. going, he's going to choose some and not choose others. One of the quotes that we offered to Kevin last week, and he said that he had actually taken this vow as a Presbyterian minister. Uh, according to the Confession of Faith of the Presbyterian Church, 
It says the number of saved is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. In other words, God has these numbers fixed and set. The saved will be saved. You can't add to the number of the saved. You can't take away from that number either. It is fixed um, and, and can't be increased or diminished. And this, it was at this point, Jacob, that you may remember I asked Kevin the question, why do you bother to do what you do? In other words, you're try, uh, Kevin works with young people on a university campus trying to stimulate them to think about spiritual things. And my question to him logically was, why do that? If the saved will be saved, if they're, if they're elected and they can't be lost, they've been chosen, they're going to be saved. And those who are lost can't be saved even if they want to be saved. Why bother to talk to him? Why try to encourage him? I, I did not think that he had a satisfactory answer for that. I thought we talked in circles there a little while. He mentioned that God, God's, uh, how did he say it? God can change hearts. Well, that that goes against that confession of the Presbyterian Church. It says you can't increase the number or diminish the number. It's it's a set number. And so he, I didn't feel like he had a very good explanation of that. The one verse that he did offer um, his, was Acts 13, verse 48, when Paul was in the city of Antioch and, and the Jews had rejected the message of Jesus. Uh, in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Uh, and verse 48 says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained, as were ordained to eternal life believed. You got it both ways in that passage. If you wanted, if you wanted, if he's going to say that that last verse that you referenced is God choosing them and electing them without any of their intervention, then what do we do with the first passage where uh, they judged themselves? They, judged, they decided they didn't want it. I really believe the right explanation of this verse forty-eight, Acts thirteen forty-eight, is as many as were ordained to to eternal life. Who's ordained to eternal life? Those who believe. God has ordained that those who believe in Jesus Christ as his son and submit to his will in the gospel will be saved. And so those who believed were the ones who were ordained to eternal life. Uh, it's, just, it's just a way of interpreting the statement. Uh, as a standalone statement, I believe you could take it either way. But in order to harmonize it with what the scriptures teach, we have to take it to mean that those who believe are the ones who are, are ordained of God. God has put this plan in place. He has ordained this method uh, of saving those who will be saved. You, you know, we've got to harmonize the scriptures. Kevin, at uh, several points uh, in the discussion, basically threw up his hands and says, I can't harmonize the scriptures, their, their intention. Yeah, we, in we, other words, they, they contradict. We usually use the word contradict, but he used the word tension. There's a tension in the scriptures. In other words, he was saying, you can't really harmonize these two different concepts. They've got to be harmonized. The verse, the, the scriptures can't contradict themselves. We've got yeah. to harmonize them. So what do we do? And and we don't have to have just that passage in Acts to show us uh, that we can decide and that uh, that God hasn't chosen us unconditionally. Second uh, Peter chapter three verse nine: The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, I believe he referenced that that verse in every other translation other than the King James 
uh, says not willing that any of you should perish. I didn't find that in other translations. Maybe, I don't know if you. Were. I didn't look. I didn't look, Jacob. But uh, um, I don't know. I, well, well, but okay, let's, 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 let's leave, let's that, leave one. that one off. What about you? Got another one there? I, I like Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come," and let him that heareth say, "Come," and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever will. That wouldn't be true of the statement of unconditional election that only certain ones can partake of the of the uh, water of life. First Timothy chapter two verse four says, "Who speaking about God, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth." God wants all men to be saved, uh, and just again, numerous passages that show that God wants everyone to be saved. Uh, in Matthew chapter twenty three, Jesus was. Uh, lamenting the condition of the Jews who were in the process of rejecting him. And he said in Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. In other words, he says, I, I I would have blessed you. I would have brought you into the fold. But you chose not to. You would not. I would have. You wouldn't. And so that's not the idea of unconditional election. Again, unconditional election says the number of saved is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Jesus said, I would have increased the number. I would have brought you all into the fold, but you wouldn't do it. So so it teaches that they have choice. If we say that God is doing the choosing and he's choosing some to go to heaven and he's choosing others that he wants to send to hell, then we're forcing contradictions. And Anthony in the chat room tonight says, if script, if the scriptures contradict, then you've interpreted something incorrectly. And that is a good rule of, of Bible study, of scriptural interpretation. If the scriptures contradict by a position that you take, then you have taken the wrong interpretation, the wrong position about uh, something because we know the scriptures cannot contradict. questions at collegeview.com. Another comment, and a couple of good comments going on in the chat room, Jacob. Uh, Harv says, why the Great Commission? Go ahead and do what you want. It won't change a thing. I think that's the real implication of their doctrine. And then another commenter says, God chose a group of people, corporate election, by the type of character they would have, not individuals, but the type of people, those that were in Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4. I think that's right. God chose... The, the the group, the class of people who would be saved, and that class is those who would be obedient to his will. Harv has another comment from Acts chapter 10, verse 34, which is true. It makes God a respecter of persons. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in, uh, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Uh, those who fear God and work righteousness are accepted by him. God has not chosen certain people. God has not been a respecter of persons and said, I like you. I don't like you. You're going to go to heaven and you're going to go to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. That makes God a respecter of persons. We're up against a break. Well, okay. We'll summarize when we get back. We'll summarize on the other side. we got a bullet point to listen to now. So don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. There are those who teach that God has predestined certain specific individuals to salvation, and in doing so, he has rejected or excluded others from being saved. This election is said to be unconditional 
meaning that God does it separate and apart from anything that the chosen person might say, do, or think. A favorite proof text of those who hold this position is Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, and it reads this way. When Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. It is argued that this proves that God has historically chosen certain individuals whom he unconditionally favored and others that he rejected. But careful examination of this passage, along with cross-referencing to the Old Testament, will help understand what is under consideration. Yes, prior to their birth, the prophecy was made, quote, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. However, notice that this was a statement about the nations that would descend from the two children. In fact, Malachi referred to the prophecy and its fulfillment this way in Malachi chapter 1, beginning verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Jacob and Esau are clearly referring to Israel and Edom, the nations, not the individual persons. This outcome, punishment against Edom, resulted from the fact that the nation had consistently refused to submit to the will of God. Those who teach predestination are wrong, and this proof text is misapplied by them. Regarding individuals, not nations, the truth of the matter is this, quote, God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And you're back on the virtual Bible study tonight. Thank you for being a part of it. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Contact us now. Let us know your thoughts as we talk about... Uh, the, pro, uh, the program last week, our interview with Kevin Twitt, who is a Calvinist in Nashville. Again, we'll say thank you to Kevin. We appreciate him uh, coming on board last night and uh, letting us know where he stands and what he believes and uh, having a good discussion with him. We're reviewing some of his comments and what we believe the Bible teaches in regards to the subject of Calvinism tonight. We're talking about unconditional election. God chooses you. He decides that he wants you to Real go to Real quickly, heaven. we got an email from Jack who says... Uh, Concerning unconditional election, Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the verse that Kevin said. He, it says, any of you. I haven't, I, you said you hadn't found that translation. I haven't either, but I haven't really looked, so we might look for that. But Jack also adds Titus two eleven. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Emphasis on all men. Um, Jacob, real quickly on this point, we're getting a lot of comments in the chat room, which we appreciate. I put together. Yeah, give us a call, too. We'd appreciate a call. So go yeah, ahead and join in yeah, on the phone. Yeah, give us a call. Send us an email. I, I want to real quick, I want to read. I, I put together an outline some time ago about uh, predestination, and it must be false for these reasons. Some of them we've already commented. I'm just going to do this real quick, Jacob. Predestination is false is a false doctrine because, one, it makes God a respecter of persons, Acts 10, 34, and 35. 
Romans 2, verse 11. Number two, it would make God responsible for the loss of souls in hell. Uh, but uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number three, it destroys the concept of man's free will and choice. We already read Revelation 22:17. How about Joshua 24:15, where it says, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Number four, it nullifies the Great Commission. Why go preach if, if the number is already determined? Number five, it makes salvation unconditional, whereas the scriptures t- clearly identify conditions of salvation. Number six, it suggests that Jesus only died for certain select individuals, but the word says he died for all. We're going to comment about that in a minute, Jacob. And number seven, it makes the warnings of scripture unnecessary. Why, why would we even bother to warn, as the scriptures do, if, if the number is set, can't be increased or diminished? All right, and uh, we will let you know if you're in the chat room tonight. Uh, I think I have turned off the feature that requires you to be logged in before you can make comments. There are several guests out there who do not have accounts on Ustream, and I believe the uh, you have the ability now to leave your comments without being logged in. So you might want to try that. Uh, we've had trouble. Hey, making... I just met. Hey, I was able to do that just now. I've been. I've had trouble doing that, and uh, just it just works. So if you're out there without a, a username tonight, you can join in the chat room. Uh, just start sending your comments in. We'd love to hear from you out there tonight. Let us know who you are if you'd like uh, in the chat room. We've got some some cryptic usernames. Oh yeah, we're getting, we're getting some good testers. We got some tests coming in from oh, unregistered users. So okay. it's working. All right, and uh, let us know who you are if you'd like uh, in the chat room, so we can know where you are and who you are listening out there. Okay, so we got total depravity. You're born uh, uh, corrupt. You can't do anything to to come to God to to be pleasing to Him. You God then has to choose you and decide who he wants to go to heaven, who he wants to go to hell. I mean, that, that, that is the, the fact. That's the, the ugly part of, of unconditional election that people don't want to talk about. But God chooses. If he chooses who goes to heaven, he chooses who goes to hell. Last week, Kevin said the story of the Bible is God saves people. That's the, that's the pleasant, positive side of that. The ugly, negative side of that that they would want to downplay is that God also condemns people without cause, without justification. I mean, but... That's why their doctrine of inherited guilt is necessary in order that God could be justified to send some to hell who he chose not to save. And he's justified in doing that because they are guilty of inherited sin. So that's an ugly side of it. Now, the third point that we want to talk about is limited atonement. If God is only wanting to save certain people, then he would have only sent Jesus to die for their sins. And uh, that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the whole world, but he only died for the sins of the elect. Now, now, this actually makes sense, Jacob. If he's only chosen to save certain ones, then I think logically, although not scripturally, but from that logic of their of their system, if he only chooses to save some, it wouldn't make sense to say that Jesus died for people that God's not going to save. You know, it, it, you can see how that fits. That Jesus only died for the ones that are elected. We to made salvation. the comment that Calvinism was logical, and Anthony uh, in the chat room challenge that it's not logical when you compare it to the scriptures but if you just if you don't look at the scriptures and you just look at how the doctrines are are connected yeah i can see how these two fit together they fit together they fit together but they're not scriptural but if there's unconditional election then it would make sense that jesus only died for those who were elected i mean i you could see how that would follow it's not scriptural but it would follow here's the quote that we used last week and asked kevin if he agreed he did agree the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination says, quote, If God has elected some and not others to eternal life, then plainly the primary purpose of Christ's work was to redeem the elect. 
That's who he died for, the ones that God has already pre-chosen in order to be saved. Now, the, the, the scriptures emphatically deny that Jesus died just for certain ones. Almost using the exact wording that these people are saying Christ didn't die for, well, the scriptures tell us that he did. Uh, numerous passages we can cite, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God uh, sent his Son to die uh, for anyone who will accept you know, you know, the best that Kevin could offer, and, and again, we're not trying to be little Kevin, but the best he could offer is, well, Jesus didn't die for the chickens. Well, that's not the point, obviously. But the, the world there is the people of the world. Jesus died for the world. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, he didn't respond to this verse. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, every man. First John 2, verse 2, did you? Go ahead. Uh, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Second Corinthians, contradiction. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, for the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He died for all. And First Timothy 2 Verse 4, we've already referenced, God will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 6 says, uh, going on, verse 5 and 6, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Those verses are pretty plain. I mean, and again, uh, you know, you you just have to say, well, that's a contradiction. That's 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 a tension in the scriptures. It doesn't go along with what they claim, but uh, if if the best answer you got is, well, I I admit that that's a contradiction or a a tension in the scripture, that's not a very good answer. But it's 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 a good answer if if you I mean don't uh, appreciate him for admitting that he has trouble. uh, It's it's an honest. It's It's honest. honest It's honest. Appreciate that, but yeah, it's it's honest. Uh, He's admitting that he recognizes the contradiction, but it clearly is a contradiction. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Call us on the phone. Let us know your thoughts. The chat room is going crazy tonight, and you've so, got it wide open now, Jake. Oh, it's wide open, and so I hope that uh, that uh, we uh, can get to some of the comments that are in there. We appreciate you, you joining in the chat room tonight. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. You'll get priority either somebody on the phone in the chat or room over is emails if, tonight. Somebody on the chat room is asking if we mentioned First John two two. Yes, we did. We did, yeah, and Jack verse. in his email to us tonight references First John two two and Hebrews chapter two verse nine. If you're taking notes at home. Take those two passages down. We've referenced them both. First John 2, verse 2, and Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 are very important. You can put John chapter 3, verse 16, and others as well in this idea that Jesus does die for the few. We've got two more points to go, and I think we should get into those on the other side of the break. All right. We've That's got uh, the uh, irresistible grace. If God wants you to be saved, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't even try to be. I mean, you can try to be lost, but you won't be successful. And perseverance of the saints uh, again, the idea that uh, once you're saved, you're never going to depart. Uh, you will persevere until the end. We'll talk about those on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. 
I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the Virtual Bible Study each Thursday night. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you for being a part of the program. We will remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about the College View Church of Christ by visiting collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you have any questions about anything you hear on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study or any other edition of the Virtual Bible Study, we encourage you to contact us anytime via email, via the phone. We'd love to study with you further about anything that you may have questions. Or if you disagree with us, we would especially like to talk to you and study the Bible with you so that we can come to a better understanding of the God's Word together with you and be more pleasing to God in the future. Jacob, we might mention it if we go off the air. It's probably us, not your your computer where there's some bad thunderstorms passing through right now. You know, we really do need to get around to getting that UPS system that we've talked yeah, about. They have technology <laughs> to prevent these things. But, yeah. but we right. would be in the dark. Even if we kept our computers up, we'd be in the dark. Well, that's okay. We could still talk. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's go real quickly because we're going to run out of time as we did last week. Let's talk about that idea that you introduced, Jacob, the idea of irresistible grace. That is the idea that if you're among the chosen, then you're going to God's going to draw you to himself you cannot resist you couldn't keep from being saved if you wanted to be uh it's an irresistible grace uh, along those lines harv in pennsylvania says that uh, acts chapter 7 verse 51 contradicts this he said where it says you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears you always resist the holy spirit as your fathers did so do you irresistible grace can you resist god's grace well here are some people in acts chapter 7 verse 51 who are doing that it even uses the word they resisted the holy spirit exactly uh-huh. good point harv uh we already read earlier matthew 23 37 where jesus said that he would have drawn the people to him like a hen draws her chickens to put under her wings but they they would not he would have they would not they resisted uh very clearly uh so uh that 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 idea again what we're and we're certainly not trying to defend calvinism but you can see how those things dovetail especially points two, two, three, and 4 if certain ones are unconditionally elected then jesus only died for them and and if 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 they were elected and jesus died for them god's not going to let them choose to do otherwise he's going to draw them to himself you can see how those three things dovetail. They're not taught in the scripture, but you can see as as a man constructed dogma how that these things fit together. They're all wrong, but they fit together. All right. Let us know your thoughts on the phone. Join in on the phone or send us your emails tonight. We look forward to hearing from you 
on the program about uh, the Calvinism and uh, about uh, the final two tenets that we're talking about of irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. Jack's email says uh, references Joshua twenty four fifteen, which we mentioned earlier. Choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then also Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That's a good verse. Moses said, I'm putting it before you. Now you make the choice. All right. And we have a comment over email there you might want to get to. Uh, we has, As we go on uh, talking about uh, the doctrines of Calvinism, the last one. Real quick, let me read this verse. Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee, suggests 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read this quickly. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 11. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They made a choice. They chose not to believe. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. God will allow them to be lost. All right. Good, good, good point. And the last doctrine or the last tenet of Calvinism is the idea of perseverance of the saints. That is, if you were totally depraved and God chose you, there was nothing you could do to be chosen or to be rejected. God did the choosing. He sent his son to die for you in the limited atonement. You're going to be saved regardless of your attitude towards it. It is irresistible. You can't you can't decide to be saved or not. It's irresistible. And then the last one is, again, logical if you don't look at the scriptures, and that is perseverance of the saints. If God's done all that work, then there's nothing you can do about he's it. Not gonna let it he's, he's not, not going to let, gonna let it, it be his plan not. fail, no. Uh, th- this idea of perseverance of the saints, you've heard it called other things, once saved, always saved. Or the impossibility of apostasy, apostasy being a falling away. It's impossible to fall away. Um, Here's what the Westminster Confession says. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Once saved, always saved. That's the way we've referred to it most often. And the Bible just clearly teaches, Jacob, that that is not the case. The the verse, we even asked Kevin about this last week, but we were in such a hurry there at the end of the program that we didn't really get to discuss it thoroughly. The verse that just, it to me, offers a death blow to that position is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. Galatians 5 verse 4 says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. Now, the context of this is 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 not particularly pertinent in, in, into the specific thing that Paul was talking about. It was it was the idea that some were trying to go back as Christians and go back and demand an observance of certain parts of the Old Testament law of Moses, and so they were trying to be justified by the law of Moses, and that 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 wouldn't work. But the but but the key of the verse that we're we're, we're emphasizing is you're fallen from grace. These Christians could enter into a situation where they had fallen from grace because they had gone back under that Old Testament system for justification. Well, it's such an easy thing to see. You can't fall out of something that you were not in already. As I said to Kevin last week, the old illustration has been offered so often, you can't fall out of a boat unless you were first in the boat. So they were in grace, and they were in danger of falling out of grace. So... 
uh, to me, that this, that's just an ironclad argument. The, 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 pat, the quotation that I'm sure many of our listeners have heard from Sam Morris yeah, read that. is uh, very telling. It, it, this, it, he holds the position that uh, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't be lost. Here's what he says, and this is logical. If you believe in the, in the idea of perseverance of the saints, you should believe what Sam Morris says. But it doesn't sound very good the way he says it. He says, we take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bible he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the laws he may keep, all the ordinances he may observe, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer, and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. You can live however you want. You can even be a murderer, an idolater, an adulterer, and you can get killed in the act. And your soul is safe, and God will save you regardless of how you live. doesn't work, does it? Well, it's, it doesn't work when I look at the scriptures. It sounds good. I, li- I like that. That would be, that'd be a pleasing doctrine to men, but the yeah. Bible doesn't teach it. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Notice it's written to brethren. And these brethren could have an evil heart of unbelief. They could depart from the living God. Very plain. And then of what I think, it's always been to me the, the most powerful passage on this. Second Peter 2, verses 20 through 22. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, the salad was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Notice these people had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord. These were saved people. But then they are entangled again and overcome. Very plain teaches that there is no such thing as once saved, always saved. Another passage along those lines is James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, written to Christians because uh, chapter uh, 5 of James, verse 19, brethren, that's Christians, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, Really, you have to take it this way, that you're a Christian and you are in a right relationship with God and you have erred from the truth and you are converted. Otherwise, if it's a non-Christian, if he's talking to non-Christians there, why is he calling them brethren? And first, and furthermore, why is he saying if it's a non-Christian and you believe in the doctrines of Calvinism that you're born uh, a sinner, you're born uh, totally depraved, why would he say if any of you do err from the truth, uh, every one of us would have been erred from the truth if it's if it's not talking about Christians, if you believe in the do- doctrine of total depravity. James chapter 5, verse 19 is talking to Christians and saying if they err from the truth and they're not converted, if they don't repent, they will suffer uh, death eternally as a result. 
And uh, so it's showing us the possibility of, of apostasy. Uh, in, in the chat room, Harv mentions even Paul could be disqualified. In 1 Corinthians 9, 12, he says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. If Paul could become disqualified, surely anybody could become disqualified. Good point, Harv. And we have another comment uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 4 through 8. I actually it, think that's 2 Peter 2. It is 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, it says, If the angels sinned and fell, so can people. Exactly. And, right. okay, all right. So we got Jacob. You've got that chat room wide open now. And we got a lot of people commenting. We, we can't hardly we can't keep up with all of that. Uh, but hopefully, in our study, both last week and this week, Jacob, what we've been able to do is sort of first of all summarize the teaching of John Calvin in this system of theology known as Calvinism. It's it's represented by that five letter acrostic tulip: total depravity, unlimited or uh, unconditional election. Limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. And uh, it is apparently sort of experiencing a revival. That's what prompted us to talk to Kevin last week. A news article in the Nashville, Tennessean had suggested that even on college campuses like Belmont, where Kevin is a, works with students at Belmont through the Reformed University Fellowship, there's, there's a growing interest in this sort of doctrinal thinking uh, false doctrine, we're sad to say, uh, but there seems to be a sort of a revival. John Calvin, 500 years old, last Thursday or Friday, and uh, so his thinking has been around for a long time. Uh, people thinking like him, let's say it that way. I'm not. I wouldn't even argue that he was the originator of it, but he gets credit for sort of formalizing those arguments. I believe we should be aware of it and understand uh, all the implications of these five principles of Calvinism. Uh, it, it's it's not true to the scripture, and we, we want to be uh, aware of that and be aware of the dangerous conclusions that are reached if you follow that kind of argumentation. Uh, yes, we do, and it is a very polarizing discussion, and we understand that. We try to approach it uh, in, a, in a loving manner and in a fair manner. But if you disagree with some of the things that we said, it, we would love for you to comment, or comment and uh, let us know. Send us an email. Give us a call anytime. We'd love to discuss this with you further. Well, uh, we should we should point out, Jacob, that the arguments that Kevin was stating last week are not new. They're at least 500 years old. Kevin made those 500 years ago. The, the points that we've made tonight are not new. They've been around, uh, I believe, since the first century because we've been quoting Scripture from the first century. Uh, we're not going to settle this debate, but I think we do need to be informed about it, and everybody has to come to some conclusion decision as to which is true to the scriptures. And if you are studying this uh, this doctrine and wondering uh, whether, how it compares with the scriptures, I would recommend another program that we've done in the past, and that's from January 25th, 2007. We interviewed Shirley Phelps Roper. She is infamous for going around the country. You don't hear about them much anymore. A lot of laws have been passed to uh, try, and, try and squelch their protests, but they used to go around to the funerals of soldiers and protest uh, the soldiers, they're famous for uh, their sl- slogans of to the effect of God hates homosexuals. They are Calvinistic in their approach, but they're very logical. And if, you are, if you're going to be Calvinistic and you're going to take that view of the scriptures, then that's the logical conclusion you've got to come to, that God actually wants there to be homosexuals in the world. God creates them that way. God makes them that way because he really hates them. Well, and... Uh... 
Kevin would refer to that as hyper-Calvinism. In other words, taking every point to its absolute, most literal application. But uh, again, if those those views follow logically. If you take these unscriptural stances, then that's where it would lead to. Well, we appreciate uh, you being a part of the program tonight. Dad, thanks for the comments. A, a very important subject to, to discuss. Because it is uh, it is very popular in the world today, but we don't believe it is in accordance with what the scriptures teach. Exactly right. All right. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. Thank you for your comments, and we hope that you benefited from our discussion. If Again, if you have any questions about the things you heard, contact us anytime over email or over the phone. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.